Welcome to Healthcare Hacks and Connections Podcast. Here you will learn all things podcasting, acquiring amazing tips and tricks required to transform your podcast into an essential tool to grow your business. On this show, we will bring in expert guests from across the healthcare spectrum. They will share their personal stories, discuss their struggles, and give real examples of how a podcast helped to grow their business. Now let's head into this week's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we have a special guest with us, Brody Sharp, and he has a top 13 podcast in the running category, guys. So this is definitely one you're going to want to listen to. His podcast is called the Run Smarter Podcast. I am just so excited to welcome him to the podcast. He's a physiotherapist. His clinic is actually the Run Smarter Physio Clinic, which is primarily online. And he's also a recent author. So we're going to touch on all these topics today and even how he's kind of utilized telehealth. Because I know a lot of you guys out there, even though you've listened, I mean, you know, we've gone through the pandemic and stuff like that. You still didn't maybe start a telehealth or haven't utilized it or haven't built out the systems to utilize it. And so we're going to talk about that today. But I just want to welcome Brody to the podcast. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to have a chat today. Thank you for coming. So for listeners that don't know you, Brody, if you can just introduce yourself real quick, that'd be great. Absolutely. So my name is Brody. I live in Melbourne, Australia. I'm 32 and graduated from physiotherapy about 10 years ago. And yeah, have um, since found a really nice niche and have since three years ago started working for myself and started launching my own clinic. And took me to where I am today. Let's dive into this first off with the niche because you know you also have a podcast, another one we didn't I didn't mention there called the Overcoming Proximal Handstring Tendinopathy Podcast. And that is so niche, but it's it's so warranted that like you're just targeting this type of audience. What what made you even want to start that podcast versus continuing to put all your your force and power into the Run Smarter podcast, which you've grown tremendously. Yeah, I guess my career's kind of evolved in stages. The first one, when I first graduated, I was just working at a private practice clinic, just treating anyone that walked in the door. And about five years into my career, I became a recreational runner myself. So I was previously playing basketball and not really caring too much about the running side of things. But I then since became a recreational runner, training for marathons and doing a few triathlons and that sort of stuff, and really loved treating runners once I became a runner myself. And I saw their frustrations. I saw the the common injuries. I learned more about running and just had a huge passion for it. It was at that time I was thinking about working for myself anyway. And just made sense to niche down into just treating runners. It'd be position myself really nicely if I just took that particular population, started helping them and guiding them and educating them on how to train. And that came concurrently with starting the Run Smarter podcast because I can use that medium to start teaching runners how to train smarter because the running population is a really nice one because so many runners get injured but so many runners get injured because they don't know how to train or they just do too much too soon. And so helping them through certain 
universal principles to reduce their risk of injury, or if they are injured, this is what this is what you need to do to overcome that injury. Really set me up quite well to build a bit of a following. And for those who are really struggling to overcome their injury, they would reach out and say, you know, can you help me? Because you've taught me everything I know and I still need that extra assistance. And so it all tied in really well with the podcast growing and the business growing side of things. But a couple of about six to 12 months into me starting that, a lot of people were coming to me with proximal hamstring tendinopathy, which those who aren't familiar, just a condition that's really high. It's a tendinopathy, tendon pain, really high up on the sitting bone, pain mainly with runners and cyclists. And then it just becomes really irritated with sitting, walking sometimes, like walking up hills and yeah, start to really irritate them. And it can be quite persistent if they mismanage it for a long period of time. Even though I was a generic running physio, I had a lot of people about 60, 70% of my entire caseload was treating people with PHT. And so I was like, well, there's something to this. There's something to this particular condition that I want to explore further. And there's Facebook groups of thousands and thousands of people with PHT that are looking for answers and looking for treatment. So I just thought I'd do it as an experiment. Let me start a second podcast, repurpose a lot of my Run Smarter content initially to then help people with PHT, but then do a couple of solo episodes. And I've had to keep that going because that niching down even further to that specific condition has generated enormous amount of my business and is well justified, even though the podcast following is really small, really dedicated to that specific population. It still generates more clients than the Run Smarter podcast. And so I juggle both and I'm doing that pretty well at the moment. I'm not really that overwhelmed or inundated with content or trying to publish that. And so if yeah, I'm just going to keep going until unless something else changes. So I love the evolution of it because you started with the run smarter and then you started getting the people coming to you saying, or not coming to you, but actually they did. So start coming to you, asking you questions about the THP, right? Then you were like, oh, wow, this is something that people need, you know? And then you basically listened to your audience and they were asking for it indirectly of like, hey, we need a resource. Can you be the resource besides these Facebook groups? So with researching through those Facebook groups, did you invite any of those like group creators onto the podcast to interview to possibly like tap into that audience? Or did you just post on those Facebook groups? Hey, I have a podcast on this topic. I was in conversation with one of, oh, I was actually like online friends with one of the people initially who were the admin, the owners of that particular Facebook group. So I was chatting with them and um, even before my ideas of the podcast. And so I already had a few connections there, but at the moment it was, they sort of mentioned that I had a podcast. And then whenever a new episode came out, I was sort of just posting on there saying, Hey, this episode's out here. And I've also got into the habit of whenever I want to do a PHT Q&A episode. So I do that sometimes. I just post onto those groups and onto my own groups and say, any PHT questions, bring them my way. I'll answer them on the podcast. And so that gets a couple of comments going, gets a couple of like a engagement on those particular groups and then becomes more prominent. And then people find out about it. And when the episode does come out, I sort of tag the people that ask the questions into that post again, say, 
I've answered your questions, check, go check it out. And that sort of starts another conversation. And so, yeah, it seems to work nicely. I'm just, it doesn't, I, I, it doesn't feel like I'm sort of being too intrusive or posting too frequently. I'm just trying to give people what they're after and answering their questions and trying to just to promote as much education as possible. So hopefully I've positioned myself well. It doesn't sound like I'm being too pushy, just sort of get good information out there. I mean, I think you did it the right way, which is approach the the group owner admin. Hey, you know, I'm I'm going to be doing a podcast on this type of thing. And, 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 you know, versus just posting without notifying the person, because I think a lot of people in this Facebook group era, I'm gonna call it right. Some of them will just post and, you know, probably they didn't ask or something or, or, or and then they wonder after, uh, a certain time, like, oh, you know, you're being banned or something, you're being kicked out because you're solicit. It's like soliciting, right? Mm. So I think you, you went about it the right way. Also, I love that you asked the audience questions and you answered them and then you gave them the resource. I think that is great because a lot of, uh, you know, it also helps your SEO because then you're, you're going you're getting your, your boots on the ground and your ear to, to the street of like, okay, what do people want to know? And then that's helping your SEO build because if these are the questions that are being asked, probably what you're using, what you're utilizing is those questions as a title, I'm guessing, right? Hmm. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think every decision that I've made is like either just treated as like a little experiment or I've just followed my intuition or what my upon self-reflection, what sort of feels right. And same with niching down into running to start with. I knew that, okay, this is a population that had a very high injury rate, but also population that, or an industry that's got a lot of misinformation out there. Like a lot of people believe stretching will reduce their risk of injury, or people believe that running's bad for their knees, or they think that stretching will help them with shin splints or along these lines and something that could be quite unhelpful for their recovery. And I was only getting that because when I was working in my private practice and seeing these runners, they'd ask me the same questions over and over. And then I'd ask them some really basic questions about their running cadence, which is just like the steps that they take per minute or their training volumes or how they prepare for races. And they're, they're getting it wrong or they just don't know what to do. And so that was just following that inkling, moving into the the podcast and the PHT stuff was again, just information coming to me and me just trying to process and being like, okay, how can I tap into this to help more people? And yeah, I suppose that's how I just continue making these decisions. Uh, That's been great. And then have you turned these, you know, uh, long form content into micro content or short form content, like a blog, you know, maybe the Instagram reels or social media things, or have you just strictly stuck to okay, I'm just going to record a podcast and share it into the groups where they'll get information out of it. What have you done? In terms of content, I do have my own blogs, which in the early days when I had a lot of time on my hands because I wasn't that busy, I was writing blogs and putting it onto my social media accounts. So I have a podcast Facebook group. I have an Instagram account. They're my two main ones. I started off with Twitter, but found I didn't really use it that often. So have just decided to just focus on Facebook and Instagram. And when I also post research like articles that come out, so papers, um, which covers a particular topic because 
people like that I'm evidence-based. People like that it's not just my particular opinion on things. I actually just follow what the research shows most of the time. And so posting articles that is like, okay, this paper helps people with knee pain and they did this certain stuff and they, I talked through the methods and I talked through the results. And so I've done that. I did that in the early days when I had a lot of time available. Now that I don't have a lot of time available, I'm sort of repurposing it. Um, it's sort of on like a two-year cycle. So I have about a hundred blogs and I now just put them on, like they just come back into my feed every two years. And so it's still fresh in people's minds and I've got a bigger audience every two years. And so it's fresh for them, but frees up my time a lot more. For the podcast episodes, I do, if it's a really nice topic. Um, so for most weeks, I will release a um, little clip that's like a 60 second clip as well as like the information about it and trying to find a clip that's really engaging or something that piques curiosity and just posting that onto my socials and that sort of stuff. So that's kind of fun and seems to get a fair bit of engagement. And I have only just recently started getting into YouTube. Um, I started that uh, two or three weeks ago. And so uh, thanks for the, the clapping. Um, and yeah, I think I will start recording. So my podcasts, I'll start um, recording the video as well and just doing little snippets of that and putting that onto YouTube and just treat it like an experiment, see how that goes and see if um, people enjoy it. I think that's great, you know, because so podcasts in general are becoming an easy way for search, but then even easier is is YouTube because it's a partner of Google and, you know, Google's one of the biggest search engines out there. So I yeah. think, I think it's great that you're doing that with the 60 second clip that you were talking about. Are you doing what we call as an audiogram? Or are you doing like a, like a video portion of it? It is, it has been an audiogram. I've only just recorded the audio for the podcast for so long now. And it has just been like create a, a, a nice sort of infographic or something and um yeah just can't just extract just the audio but i'll probably now that i'll start recording the video for the podcast that'll probably change definitely i think that would be a great idea and then i would just say also if there's a way to caption it great because 81 percent of people do not have their phones on on uh, off mute a lot of them have mm. it on mute. So then they're not, when they're scrolling through these videos, they're not paying attention to things that don't have like title, a caption. If it's just like a, no a voice, especially nowadays, it's not getting seen right away. Yeah. That makes Currently sense. Currently I use uh, Headliner for most of those um, coming up with the captions and that sort of stuff. And I've used that for the last couple of years and I, it seems to be getting better and better. When I first started using it, I had to do a lot of edits for the the audio, but yeah, it seems to be doing quite well. Sometimes with my Australian accent, it makes it a little bit iffy, but yeah, for the most part, it does pretty well. Yeah, that, no, I love Headliner. I think that's a great application to be using for that to help you out. And yes, I even have that issue where it doesn't know certain certain dialect, I guess you could say, and, and it just doesn't catch it. And that's why I would say it's about 92% accurate usually yeah. about. I'm right? actually quite impressed. Like sometimes it even doesn't remove the, um, like it removes the ums and ahs straight away and you don't need to make those changes. And even sometimes 
looking back on like editing someone's captions, it's weird to see how people talk. And some people will start a, a sentence for a couple of words and then change to another sentence. And if it's done quickly enough, sometimes headline doesn't pick up on it, just cuts it, cuts it out. And it's like really effortless and um, has made my job really easy. So it's got better and better the more I've used it and yeah, continue to be impressed. Yeah. And I think it's just going to continue to grow um, as we get more and more into the podcast realm. Um, I mean, even I can even tell you this, like uh, uh, YouTube is beta testing podcast section on YouTube now. Um, It's not fully out there yet, um, but they're beta testing it to see, you know, so that means that if YouTube thinks it's like a powerhouse, you know, it, it's going to just keep growing if they're trying mm-hmm. to get invested in. I mean, we've seen Spotify offer Joe Rogan that millions of dollars, you know, just to, to have his show specifically on their platform, not on Apple, not, you know, and stuff like that. Um, which speaking of like knowing that you have like a top, 13 podcasts like have you gotten approached about sponsorships have you reached out to get sponsorships anything like that i have been reached out a couple of times i i'm still waiting for the right fit and the right kind of i guess partnership there's even though my podcast is i guess top 13 i probably get about six thousand listeners per episode which like it's not the biggest, I guess, US based running podcasts are close to 20,000, 30,000. And that's, I guess, that would make sense in terms of the money coming in, the money going out, like helping out that business, getting more people reaching that business, knowing about that business. I guess the the size and what I would justify or call like, like um, an income coming from them, it probably just doesn't make sense right now. I do have some people in mind i had and i have had some companies some bigger companies that are on the bigger podcast reach out to me hasn't made a lot of sense right now i love some devices that i use for running that i think will be a perfect match for for the podcast and for my audience i think they'd really love to know about it um and i've reached out to them and like they're not really in the the space right now i'll reach out to them next year they said next year is probably a better timing for them so yeah, I mainly at the moment um, do a mid-roll ad for myself, talking about my business, talking that I offer online physio, talking that I have an app, talking about I have an email list and I'll use one. I have five ads that I've created myself that go for about you know, 20, 30 seconds and I'll rotate them per episode. And so they'll only get, they'll only hear the same episode, uh, the, the same ad once every five episodes. So it's not that repetitive, I guess. And yeah, I do offer free uh, 20 minute injury chats for anyone who's interested. And that's very popular and gets a lot of my income or well, generates a lot of my um, leads and converts them into paid clients. And so um, that works really well. And so I've put that into my podcast mid-roll ads and yeah, seem to work well. I love that you're using um, yourself in your business as the promoter because a lot of people like, they're like, well, how am I going to monetize? You know, how do I get these sponsorships? I'm like, first off, don't even think about that. You are the sponsor. You're the driver of this ship, right? I try to tell people and 
I think, you know, I love that you, you said that because people that are listening, you know, you got, if you have a podcast and you're, you're not doing what, uh, Brody is doing by doing an advertisement. So when you advertise, do you do it how many times in a month or is it on every episode? Yeah. Every episode on repeat, I do have some patron exclusive episodes that are ad free. Um, so that's that, but pretty much every episode that goes out, I'll see what number that episode is and I'll see how that correlates with my order of the five ads that I have currently on the go. And then I'll just allocate that. And it's just, you know, that will just go through. And like I said, it's 20, 30 seconds. My episodes usually go between 45 and 60 minutes. And so I don't feel, I usually like the podcast that I listen to, if it's 40 minutes or 45 minutes, it has three ads in there. I think that's a little bit too excessive. So um, I do want to make sure the experience is still, you know, high quality. I want to make sure that it's, that they're still enjoying the podcast. And so, yeah, I, I guess that's like the minimal amount, which is why I have five, five ads or five things I want my audience to, to know about. And I only put one of them in every episode. And I, I think that that's great that you're, you know, you know what you enjoy so then you understand what your audience, because I think the same thing, like, uh, what is it? I think it's like armchair experts is one that I listen to, um, with Dax Shepard and they have a lot of ad reads in there and then Joe Rogan too. And then it's just like, you almost get like discouraged by them. Right. Cause there's so many, like you said, four or five and it's like, okay, man, like, cool. I get it. I <laughs> get you're trying to push yeah. this at us, you know, but. I like that you're not doing as many and you know i like that also you're thinking of your audience when you are thinking of sponsorships you know uh i forget what it was that you mentioned uh the one that you're reaching out to or in a year from now but that one uh versus say something that does has nothing to do with runners and it's mm. it's it's like well maybe it's about swimmers it's like swimming goggles or something like that right it's like, why would this appeal to a runner? They wouldn't buy this, you know? So you're yeah. not, yeah. A lot of the companies that have reached out to me have mainly been like supplements or some sort of nutrition thing, which is great. I have had Athletic Greens reach out to me and send me stuff. And, you know, they're pretty big on a lot of other podcasts. And I think that like, I'll give it a try, see if I enjoy it, you know, and see if it might suit my clients, but a lot of it is like, if it's like a pill or a vitamin or something, I'm like, well, you know, it's not really going to suit the running population that much. I want the, the fit to be perfect. I want something, I want an offer and a product that my audience would want or like really enjoy because um, we, we want to continue. We want to continue delivering value. If you stop delivering value, then it just becomes less important as a podcast. And so hopefully that message gets across and hopefully the audience starts to appreciate this is like really value packed content. Mm -hmm. And so you're an author. So like how now let's switch kind of gears here. How did that even become about? And then also, did you use some of say the transcriptions from the, the run smarter podcast to build out that, that book? Yeah. The idea for the book has been in my mind for the last like two years. And when I very first started the podcast, I actually wrote an ebook. The first 10 episodes of the Run Smarter podcast covers 10 
universal principles to reduce your risk of injury. And that correlated with each chapter of my ebook. It was just a really quick ebook, nice and simple. And people who were interested in getting the ebook, they'd listen to the podcast or listen to or, or read the ebook and then want to do vice versa. They'd want to go to the podcast or they'd want to get the ebook. And that helped grow my email list. It helped like, you know, just people just feel a little bit more engaged and know a little bit more about me. And that launched about six months after that, another ebook that I wanted to do to increase people's running performance. Again, listening to my audience. When someone jumped into my Facebook group, I asked them, what do you want to learn? What do you want to know more about? And 100%, it would either be reduce my risk of injury or increase my running performance safely. It was just those two things were 95% of the things that, that would come to me. And so the first ebook was reducing risk of injury. So I'm like, okay, let me do another one on increasing running performance. And so I had the basis for a book. I had a kind of, I guess, layout template, but really wanted to fit it out into a, a bit more of a robust book. And by that stage, I had about 200 podcast episodes of content. I had been talking to researchers, to health professionals, um, running coaches, like of top tier stuff. And I was gaining a lot of information, a lot of really good content. And so took those 20 chapters that I had from my two eBooks, sort of started playing around with it um, in terms of the order and how I would position that book, started to think, okay, what podcast episodes have I done? What interviews have I done, which I can put in quotes and things within that book. And then just spent 12 months really grinding it out and typing. I had no idea how to write a book before that, had no idea what to do. I was never really great with academic writing or sentence structure or spelling and grammar and all that sort of stuff. But I thought I'd just dive in and give it a go because I want to reach as many runners as I can to help educate them how to train smarter, but not everyone listens to podcasts. And so the book is just another thing, another experiment. Yes, it took a lot of time, but just wanted to give it a try, see if it could reach a greater audience or just now I have the book. Um, it's been released about three weeks now and wanting to use that as a as a bit of leverage to get onto other podcasts or be interviewed on other platforms and use that as a bit of a, a talking point or a bit of authority and like I say using it a bit of leverage to help you know grow and expand on and reach a greater audience I guess is it so is it, is this book free or is it like you get on Amazon? You can get the book on Amazon and almost every online bookstore and you won't be able to, it's not in like a Barnes and Noble or like a, it's pretty much just like an online thing. You yeah. can go get it. Yes, you do have to pay for it. It's about $25 US and my, I guess Amazon's probably the most common place to get it. It's run smarter. The first part of the book, the first half of the book is reducing your risk of injury. The second half is increasing your running performance. I actually had a part three, which was injury specific stuff, like talking about Achilles tendinopathy, patellofemoral pain, uh, osteoarthritis, but the book ended up being too thick. It was too, like the pages, there was ended up being about 750 pages, which is a massive book. So I had to cull down, publish just the first two parts, and then I'll bring out a second book maybe next year sometime, which is pretty much already written. I just need to find the right timing to put it out there. 
So you basically were trying not to to write like a Lord of the Rings <laughs> trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it makes sense. Like even now, like my book currently is I think four hundred pages, and it's a decent thickness. I had to try and cull down as much as possible, and. Um, it's just me with my ideas. I just run with my ideas and sometimes overdo it a bit. And I've even got another idea for a part four, which I'll probably do as a third book um, because one of my passions is understanding the complexities of pain science. And I have a lot of ideas about that. And so, you know, I'm always just running with ideas and I just need to try and find the right time to do it and what time, the timing that just makes sense. Yeah, I love that you use the, you know, the podcast as the jumping point for these books, though, because a lot of people, you know, they always wonder, like, what else can I do with my podcast? And it's like you, I don't know if you know Tim Ferriss. Do you know Tim Ferriss? Yeah. Okay, so Tribe Mentors, that was basically his podcast, just transcribed and thrown into chapters. All right, here's this business person. Here's this leader. Here's this chapter on courage. Here's this chapter on imposter syndrome, all these different chapters based off of like an an interview that he did. And I was like, that's so genius, you know, and that's probably sold thousands of copies. Right. And yours is going to do the same. Like, you know, people are going to search up, uh, how to run smarter and yours is going to pop up and they're going to buy it. And then I'm sure, you know, that your book also leads them to your email list or to your, you know, the Facebook group or to the podcast. So you're funneling people into your system. Yeah. It's, um, it's designed primarily to showcase the podcast. Like I said, it has tons of quotes in there, tons of stories about the podcast in there. And so hopefully it creates enough interest, enough intrigue for people to start listening. Cause I guess that is, well, currently is like home base for me. It's growing the podcast that grows my business, but who knows, maybe that's YouTube in a couple of years, maybe it's 50, 50, but yeah, it seems to be my prime focus at the moment. And then do you do the editing and all the production, the marketing on, on your, on your own, or do you have a backend team? Like, how's that look? At the moment, just me. I do hire help when I can, like I definitely needed to hire help for the books. So just get some people out there to do the the book design, the interior design, the cover, those sorts of things. In regards to the audio, like the podcast editing, I just do that all myself. I don't really do too much. Um, it's now at the point where I just strip the, the raw audio and just put an intro and outro and an ad in the middle. And that's pretty much all I do. I don't get too fancy or too technical with snipping and making sure it's perfect. I even mentioned in the first couple of episodes of my podcast that I'm not striving for perfect. I'm striving for like B plus sort of quality. Hopefully the the quantity and the value there is at a hundred percent, but in terms of me putting effort to get it perfect, that's an extra couple of hours that people probably don't care about. And Again, going back to what I like, I don't care if there's a, a couple of ums and ahs in the podcast I listen to, or even if the audio is just a little bit underdone, because as long as the value's there, I'd want to listen to it. So just mainly going off what I like and hopefully what other people like as well. Yes, if something, one of my very first podcasts ever, which has never really happened before, after that, um, my guest had a housemate come in with a vacuum and started vacuuming the house and like... What are you doing? But anyway, I had to edit that out. And yeah, 
in terms of the YouTube stuff, I've tried to recruit help, um, trying to find a good fit in terms of editing, but I'm actually really enjoying the YouTube and cut, uh, editing the videos myself. It is time consuming, but um, trying to get that workflow down, obviously being new, being new to all this sort of stuff, it's going to take a lot longer than what it can be, but starting to refine that. And I think that's definitely the next step for this business is me trying to delegate things that can be delegated and sort of finding ways for me to make time more available so for me to do things that can better grow the business and the podcast, but it's just trying to find the right people. I have reached out and trying to find and haven't found them yet, but yeah, it definitely is on my to-do list for the next, I guess, evolution of the Run Smarter business. Yeah, I, I think uh, that's great that you're acknowledging that because I think a lot of us business owners, we get stuck in like wanting to wear all the hats, right? Mm. And that actually like pushes us down and we're not able to scale because of that, because we're wearing so many hats and instead of finding the who that can do this instead of the how to do it, which a lot of us do, we'll, we, you know, we'll go to YouTube, we'll be like, let's say how to write a blog, right? Or something like that, or how to build out an email list. And it's like, instead, you know, what our time can be utilized growing the business instead of trying to, I mean, at first, right, if, you, if you're just starting, that's perfectly fine, but I think there's evolutions in the business where it's now it's time to find the who. And then like we were talking about with, you know, building out those systems for, for like finding the online clients and stuff like that, like just building out those systems are going to be crucial for the growth of your business. For sure. Couldn't agree more. So talking on that, you know, what are the systems that you've utilized to build out your online practice? So if someone were to book in with me, they would go through, I use Calendly for, for most of my booking sort of stuff. Like people, if they book in for a free 20-minute injury chat, they'll go through Calendly and do that. Um, I have built out my own website. Well, I've had a team build out my website, but if someone wants to book a, an appointment online, they just go through that, which is just linked with Clinico, which is just um, it's a management software for practices, super easy, super cheap, really low overheads on my behalf running an, an online clinic. But uh, that's pretty much it. I use Zoom for review calls, but in terms of like initial calls, I have uh, Clinico as that software. They do telehealth consults and that's where I keep all my notes and all the files and that sort of stuff. And works really easy. It, it has been refined over time. I have made sure that that is kind of like seamless before when someone makes a booking for an, an online appointment, they are then sent online forms and I use type form for that, which sends them a subjective assessment and sends them an objective assessment as well. Because if they have patellofemoral pain, I want to know what their squat is like or their single leg sit to stand or what it's like to do a step up, what's it like to do stairs. And so they follow a particular flow chart there that has them do certain tests just so I have a bit more of a baseline idea about their injury and their pain and severity and that sort of stuff before jumping onto a call. And that works pretty well. The services I offer mostly are packages rather than just go do a consult by consult. People sign up for say a one month package we would jump on a call initially and then have a month of working together, kind of like a coaching 
package because with runners, you want to build up their strength, but you also want to assign them a sort of a running program and those sorts of things. And the one month package works really well. And so every follow-up call after that's just on Zoom, just using Calendly. So those are pretty much the main software things that I use for my online clinic and yeah, works pretty well. Perfect. I think that's that's a great example and, and, and uh, explanation of how people can utilize online in their, in their business, even if they have a standing clinic to bring in more revenue, because there are those people that let's face it, even with the pandemic quote being over right now, there's still people that, you know, they can't get into the clinic or they're just so busy, you know, with their daily uh, jobs or whatnot that that they're not able to go in. So that is another resource for them to use and, you know, they're going to use it. Yeah. So let's talk about if you were to restart your podcast, let's just say restart your podcast, YouTube, everything all over again, how would you grow it? I would grow it the same way that I have. If I had something, if I'm positioning myself as kind of like an expert or someone that has a lot of knowledge that can help a lot of people, um, which is what my podcast is. I go onto other podcasts, especially running podcasts, health and fitness podcasts, and just talk about it. Um, I think what, I think the content that I have and the knowledge that I have is really helpful for a lot of runners. I think it's helpful for a lot of people. And I think there's a lot of misinformation that needs to be busted. And I do think there's a lot of information that needs to be told to help them because like I say, there's a lot of people that don't really have much idea of how impactful changing your, how smart you are, how smart your approach, your training can, how profound that can be on someone's ability to reduce their risk of injury or increase their running performance safely. And I'm super passionate about it. I've, dedicate a lot of time research, you know, to interview people and read what the latest research is on these topics. And so I love going onto podcasts and just chatting about it. And hopefully that comes across. Hopefully people listening to that podcast will say, Hey, Brody kind of knows what he's talking about. And he has another podcast. And so I have found that as long as the platform's consistent. So if I say I have a podcast and I reach out to other people who listen to podcasts, that that there's less friction there to get an audience to grow that. I have since like, you know, having 5,000, 6,000 listeners per episode, telling them all that I've released a YouTube channel. I've been surprised at how many people haven't come across to that channel. And I guess it's just, you know, across platforms, people, not a lot of runners um, that listen to podcasts also have a YouTube thing. And so uh, I'm just learning uh, that along the way. But um, that's why I think if you want to grow your podcast, get onto more podcasts, have something interesting, have something engaging or something um, that's worth value to sort of say or get the listener to say, you know what, this is person's pretty interesting. Let me see what they have to say on their own podcast. I think that's been easy. It's been free. I've tried to do ads before and like I've tried to do Facebook ads and, you know, pay for Spotify ads and that sort of stuff, just chucking a little bit of money just to see if it gains any traction. It hasn't, but I jump onto a podcast and I chat about, I do what I love and talk about running for 60 minutes. And then it seems to be 10 times, hundred times as effective as paying for something. So I think just doing that and continue to, I guess, try new things. I'm happy just to try new things, but that seems to be the most effective at the moment. I think that's a great suggestion for people because, 
you know, I, I like to say this is competition of ads is like, you know, a podcast, even if an episode that you're guessing on is something that's going to live forever, unless that person just stops their podcast. But still, I think, I think even if they stop the hosting site that they're on, will still host it. They won't take it down all the way per se, because there's still some that are out there that have been done for years and years, but they're still on. But I love that you said that because, you know, that, that, the podcast is is something that lives for 365 uh 24/7 versus ads ads only go as far as you put into it right like like okay i got to keep feeding the machine you know got to keep feeding the machine the money the money the money and then maybe something does hit and it's like cool now we got to throw more money at it <laughs> mm, yeah versus a podcast like if you do so many of those right i think of it as a um as you drop like a, like a pebble in, in like a lake and you see the ripple effects and the ripples get bigger and bigger and bigger. So as you get on more and more and more and more podcasts, that ripple is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. For sure. Yeah. And like I say, it's, it's doing what I love. It's doing something that generates my energy rather than depletes my energy. If like putting together ads and seeing how they go and trying to test and tweak and see how they go, it's something that I'm not really passionate about and something that depletes a lot of my energy. But if I jump on a podcast and talk about running for 60 minutes, I'm buzzing for the rest of the day. So you really need to pay attention to what generates your energy compared to what depletes your energy. That is a big tip for any business owner out there. Anything that you're doing in your business, if it if it's depleting you, like you're saying like that, find someone else to do it because mm. you will, I think they call it eating the frog, right? That term, mm-hmm. if it's something that you don't want to do, then you either have to do it the first thing you do in the morning or you're not even going to get it done. You'll keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Yeah. But um, Brody, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. So my listeners know that we are towards the end of the podcast and um, I think you've listened to some of the podcasts recently. So, you know, probably what's coming, which is we bust out these things called pod decks and we're going to ask you three questions. There's three cards from there. And then just gets us to dive a little more into you as the, uh, the guest. So we will do that now. It's kind of an easy one. What makes you smile? Uh, talk about running. <laughs> I guess that's the, that's the number one. Maybe I can come up with something a bit more profound. I do have next to me my sleeping dog called Jasmine. Podcasters can't see, but um, you can see. She sleeps next to me every time, and she probably makes me smile about 100 times a day. So that's probably a better one. That's awesome. Do you only have one cat or? No, it's a dog. Oh, it's, it's a, a dog. 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 Sorry. <laughs> it's a... It's a um, a little cavoodle and she's just turned seven. She turned seven three days ago. Awesome. Um, and then would you say like that actually helps you get out and like, you know, kind of breathe the fresh air and, you know, besides the running, of course. <laughs> um, Jasmine's walks are my cool down for my running for the day. So it's, it is nice to put within the day to sort of wind down the exercise session. And yeah, it is, it is nice just to spend some time out in fresh air, a bit of extra time. I know for me, you know, being someone that works from home, like when I, when I watch like uh, my friend's dogs and stuff like that, like that was actually the greatest thing. Cause then it got me outside to go walk and like, just smell the fresh air sometimes besides if I was going for a run, but 
uh, been so busy that I haven't been able to with the wedding coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what's a quote that inspires you and why? Well, one of the biggest things that I have followed, which is a quote that I don't know where I heard it from, but it was exactly that about the energy. Do what generates your energy rather than depletes your energy. I use that in every single bit of all business decisions that I make. The other one that I like doing on the business side of things is tell tell your audience everything. Don't hold anything back. You know, you could easily be salesy and say, these are the five ways for you to overcome patellofemoral pain. Here's the four, here's four, and I'll tell you the fifth one if you sign up for my email list or something like that. You know, there's, and also being a therapist, being an online physical therapist, you can almost feel like you're doing yourself a disservice with telling everyone everything. This is how you can overcome shin splints. Um, you know, go ahead and do that. This is all what I would do if I saw a client that had shin splints. These are all the things that I would do. Um, you could easily think you're doing yourself a disservice because people are just going to go away and, you know, overcome their shin splints on their own without your one-on-one help and paying you for your services. But I have found a lot of success with this telling them everything. And then if they feel like they need to reach out or if they feel like they can't overcome it themselves, you're going to be the first one they're going to go to because you're the one that's taught them everything. And so that's where I have decided to position myself. So I guess another quote is just tell them everything. Don't hold anything back. Perfect. I think that is great. I definitely tried to learn that, right? Because like a, a lot of us business owners were like, well, we don't want to give away our secret sauce. And it's like, no, just give it away, you know, because then those people, like you said, are going to come back because they trust you. You you gave them the secret sauce and they probably still need sometimes the handholding where it's like, you know, I need to get to that next step and you only yeah. know the next step. Yeah. And some people say like, I'd rather pay you than listen to the 270 episodes that you have or the, the YouTube and the blogs and that sort yeah. of stuff. I know that you know it all because you've done, you know, I see how many blogs and episodes you have out. Just tell me what to do. And some people just want to be told what to do. It's nice and easy for them. And like I say, I've positioned myself in a way that people just reach out and say, I, I know that I can trust you. I know that you're my person that I want to go to just because of what they've already listened to and you know my particular philosophy. And yeah, like I say, works pretty well. This one's not a part of it, but I know that you've recorded 244 episodes, correct? You probably have more in the can, but so far you've put out there and some probably with, with your other one. So maybe like 300, let's say 300, you know, what's one lesson that you've learned from that? From recording so many episodes? Yeah. I think it's just be authentic. Don't care too much about mistakes. Don't care too much about getting it perfect. Just be authentic and try most of the time don't dedicate it to like sounding perfect or the quality being perfect just focus on the value as much as possible like when i interview someone and i ask about i write down my questions just using it as a template but i think about those questions quite a lot because it's that is like the direct value that's going into the content and i send my questions to my guests because i found that even if they just have a look over and then they have a little think about it beforehand, they can deliver more value and a, a little bit more information than they could than if I just threw it on the spot and just see what they can come up with. Because then usually after recording, they're like, oh, I probably should have said that. But if they have a little bit of heads up, they can spend, even if it's just 10 seconds to think about, oh, Brody's going to ask this question, what should I say? That would deliver more 
quality, more content that's a little bit more value. And so I'd focus on that, the power of the content, rather than little imperfections here and there, the ums and ahs and, you know, maybe not getting the sound quality to 100%, you know, just focus on the value. Great answer. Well, Brody, I just want to thank you for coming on the podcast. And then, so for the listeners that resonated with your message and say like, hey, they want to work with you, they want to work with you online, where can they do that and how can they find you? So my website is runsmarter.online and there's, you know, there's a tab in there that says physiotherapy. And if someone wants to work with me, there's, um, there's some prompts if they want to book in for a free injury chat or if they just want to dive straight into a, a paid package, they can do that as well. I usually instruct people if they did want to work together uh, and if they are injured or if, the, if they're a runner that, that has, you know, plantar fasciitis, I'd say listen to the podcast first because maybe you'd be able to help yourself first. So listen to the first 10 episodes of the Run Smarter podcast. Listen to those 10 universal principles to reduce the risk of injury. And if you still have questions, and if you still have pain and you still want to work together, then head to the website. There's links in the show notes to take to the free injury chat and to the website and all that good stuff. Awesome. Well, for our listeners, don't forget to rate, review and subscribe for more episodes. Peace, guys. For more inspiring conversations like this one, I invite you to join my free Facebook group, Healthcare Hacks and Connections. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, be sure to follow our socials on Instagram, the podcast underscore doc and Nate Novice on Facebook. Thank you and have a great day.